Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining this edition of My Time, My Life with Trinette Faint. Today's special guest is my friend Kristen Lajanuz from Emerson College. A former full-time nomad of nearly 10 consecutive years, having visited all 50 states in 21 countries, quite a feat, while working from wherever there was Wi-Fi, Kristen is a traditionally published author, two-time business owner, and a public speaker. Hailing from a tiny town in upstate New York, Kristen grew up riding horses competitively. She majored in equestrian studies during undergrad before shifting focus and receiving a master's degree in marketing communications from Emerson College. That's where we know each other from. Hey, girl. Today, Kristen is the CEO of KML Collective, a boutique copywriting studio specializing in web copy for purpose-driven businesses and organizations. When Kristen's not working, you can find her dining out at a vegan eatery, salsa dancing, or geeking out on the latest sci-fi adventure flick. Hey, Kristen, how are you? Hey, Trinette. I'm doing well, coming to you from New York City, where I'm cat-sitting because I am still living that pseudo-nomad life. Love <laughs> I it. I haven't had a home base since I left Boston in oh my 2011, 2011, so it's been over a decade that I have not had a home base. Yeah. Wow. And I love that you're from New York because New York is speaking in the background there. <laughs> it is. Yes. Yes. You will hear sirens. Yes. I'm only on the eighth floor. <laughs> so you will hear the echo of silence, uh, silence, sirens. And I am, since I'm cat sitting, I've got a couple of little troublemakers who may make an appearance as well. Well, I hope they do. If there's one thing about New York, it doesn't matter what floor you're on. You could be on the eighth floor or the 20th floor. <laughs> the sounds are all going to be the same. <laughs> yeah, this is true. Yeah. All right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's dive in. Um, how and why did you come to create KL Collective and what did you think was missing from the market? I started that business because I was at a having an identity crisis. It mm -hmm. was um, early 2020 and um, I was moving from my more full-time nomad experience. So even though I haven't had a home base in over a decade, to be clear, at the end of 2019, going into 2020, I um, I was feeling fully lost. I had been off of my, I had done a, a road trip and, and global travels. And um, at the end of that, I was definitely feeling like, what the heck am I going to do? Mm -hmm. How am I going to make money? I was mostly living off of my savings and donations for a long mm -hmm. time. <laughs> were during the project that I had, uh, the travel project. And so I had this little crisis moment and I realized that something that came to me and also, well, let me pair these two things together. Yeah. I have been told from a very early age that I'm good at writing, whatever that means. There's lots of different types of writings, but it's writing, but it's been, you know, something I've been told in different formats my whole life. Okay, great. That's part A. Part B is I was received a targeted ad for copywriting <laughs> on social media. And I was like, oh, copywriting. And as I read through what it was, I realized that I've been doing that in some form or another over the years. I just didn't know it was called copywriting. So I took a right. course and I said, okay, great. I'll start a copywriting agency. Why not? I had a previous uh, like sort of marketing consulting business that I ran while I was traveling. Uh, it was very half-hearted though. It was really just to fund my travels, getting the next ticket, plane ticket, whatever. Great. Mm -hmm. um, but as I, you know, settled into 2020 and COVID, early COVID times started, I had a panic moment. And so I decided I'll make this a thing. Um, and so it wasn't that I identified something missing in the market. It was that I was desperate for money and I was scared. And so mm -hmm. I started it out of like a panic moment. 
Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the pandemic certainly uh, probably caused a lot of reactions like that with different things. You know. Yes. Yeah. I was losing some of my other kind of marketing consulting clients while getting this up and running. So it was definitely like a stressful period. Um, and I started like pretty basic in that I started a Fiverr account and started offering copywriting services there and then eventually moved. Well, I actually got kicked off of Fiverr, which we can talk about that if you <laughs> want. Um, but I spent about six months on that platform before going all in independently. Um, okay. And so, yeah, it's been, it'll be four years this January that I, since starting the business. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess you, you answered my other question uh, about manifesting it. You just kind of just jumped in. It wasn't a, a huge vision that you'd had for a long time. No, no. And, and really I was fighting it tooth and nail actually, because what I've come to realize now, several years, no, several, a few years in is that I don't love it. I don't love copywriting. I like project management. I like client mm -hmm. relationship management. I like being the boss. I don't necessarily mm -hmm. like the service itself, like producing mm -hmm. the deliverables, um, which was fine. I hired on a couple of uh, freelance writers to join the team so that we could still take on clients and I could do more of what I enjoyed doing and less of what I di didn't enjoy doing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's been fine. <laughs> It's been tough though. I will say that like the high of it all, like getting to the point where we skyrocketed through six figures in 2022 mm -hmm. and then went the complete opposite direction in 2023 has been a roller coaster. Yeah. Gosh, I, I'll say that yeah. is a huge, huge spike. And it must have been um, a very uh, stressful experience, I guess, probably coming down on the other side of that. Yeah, I mean, it's lingering. It's still stressful. I am in a moment of reevaluating if mm -hmm. I want to continue like developing this business or going in a different direction. I'm calling Q4 my reset quarter because I feel like I'm kind of hitting the reset button on a lot of things. Everything from going back to my natural hair color, which sidebar, <laughs> I've had a lot of various fun colors over the last five or six years. And two weeks ago, I was like, you know what? I'm going to chop it all off and just let it do its thing. So that was like my, actually my hairstylist gave me the idea for calling it a factory reset. Cause as she was doing my hair and she's been doing it, she specializes in vivid colors. So when I walked in and said, we're going back to my natural color, she was like, oh, you know, factory reset. I'm like, oh yes, this is, this is a reset. <laughs> and that has now become the theme of the decisions I've been making lately. Yeah. Now, would you consider, uh, I guess, changing your business to add other services and um, uh, I guess do less of the copywriting and more in implementing, I guess, project management or other things that you're interested in? Yes, I, I have been moving in that direction for most of 2023. And then a few months ago, I also stumbled upon something called UGC, user generated content, which is more mm -hmm. in the video space where you're kind of behind the scenes creating reels, TikTok videos, YouTube shorts for other brands. Like if mm -hmm. you've ever seen um, skincare products where it's on their page, it's different people talking about the product or reviewing it, kind of that sort of content. And mm -hmm. that really pulled me in. So I've been considering giving that a try and just that feels more creatively fulfilling to me. I've always enjoyed video editing and, and putting together video content. I just never, I've only ever created it for myself, never for anyone else. So I am considering um, bringing that in. I also 
two years ago purchased a new domain name because I don't like the name of the business and I, I've been wanting to make it feel more agency vibes and not just the Kristen show. And mm -hmm. the name of the business right now is quite literally my initials, KML uh, Collective. And that was a name I chose on a whim. So anyway, yeah, I am looking to either add and or take things away. But because I'm in this reset period and because I'm really struggling financially to be transparent with you, like I, I, there was a moment a few months ago where I had this like deep internal feeling of like, I don't want to do copywriting anymore. Like it was like, oh, like in my gut. And then I stopped mm -hmm. getting clients. It was like, the universe was like, okay, great. You don't want to do this anymore. You're done. No. And so I haven't, um, I mean, I have, I do have new clients that trickle in, but they're usually, I shouldn't say new, they're, they're previous clients that keep coming back for more work. So thankfully I've had repeat clients coming in the last mm -hmm. year, which is what's kept me personally afloat. Um, but I need to be transparent. I'm looking for part-time work right now because I have got to make up for the financial loss of this year. And it's been a very difficult experience going from like making six figures, which is the most I've ever made at any job in my life and doing it mm -hmm. myself. Like that was yep. so rewarding. Um, and then on the other side of it now kind of coming, <laughs> coming down. But the bigger message for me here, I think is like just coming back down to reality of like, but do I want to really do this? And the answer is no. Okay. So what is it going to look like now? Dabbling in UGC content, um, going back to my communications roots. I've had a mm -hmm. lot of experience working in the nonprofit sector in general, like communications, um, social media strategy, stuff like that. And so I've been looking for gigs to fill the gap. Um, and it actually feels really good. Like there, there is no part of me that feels like I am giving up or that it's a bad thing. It actually feels nourishing to my body when I think about having a steady paycheck every month. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a bit funky, right? Because I've, I've really put myself out there as an entrepreneur. I've largely worked for myself or done freelance work for like 12 years. So going back to working for someone else, um, you know, it, it is a matter of like, how does this feel in my body? And at the end of the day, it feels good. And so just embracing that and knowing that that's the priority right now. And it's really because I have to look out for myself. I got bills to pay, <laughs> you know, right. um, and I want to keep traveling and nomading around. So, yeah. I mean, it sounds like this has been a huge learning experience and, you know, you can't have any regrets for that because mm -hmm. you, you know, you jumped in you tried it, you saw it wasn't for you and you'll just figure it out and recalibrate, you know, at least you didn't spend, 10 years or something doing something you absolutely hated and yeah. then found it too difficult to, to reverse out of. You know, so. what's really funny about it too, is that when I first announced to the world that this is what I'm going to be doing, um, because I had been doing, I'd probably spent almost, no, it wasn't a year. It was, yeah, almost a year kind of doing Fiverr slash like dipping my toe in before fully committing to purchasing the domain and building website and all that. So it was January, January 1st of 2021 that mm -hmm. I kind of made it like an announcement, like, here's what I'm doing. And on January 2nd, while I was washing the dishes, mm -hmm. um, I put my hand through a glass and nearly cut off my pinky on my, on my dominant hand, my right hand. And that came up as a memory for me. Um, the other day I was looking through pictures. Not a, It wasn't a, a memory provided by social media. It was just like I was looking through pictures to find something and I saw it. 
in my feed and I was like, oh my God, this feel, this really hits different now. Like the day after I announced to the world that I'm going to be a copywriter, I was like, couldn't use my hand for a month, you know, like <laughs> wow. it just feels like very much like I'm looking at that now with a different lens of like, oh, like that maybe was a sign. If you believe in signs, that was a very clear sign of like, it wasn't aligned, you know, like I was yeah. really forcing this thing to happen and I made it work, but then coming back into reality of this year and I say reality more and like when I stopped pushing and hustling to make it work, mm -hmm. I was making it work. But then when I felt that shift, it wasn't working. And I think it's really going to be like, I actually feel deeply in my body that this is going to be a really beautiful and wonderful transition. I've kind of come to this place of ease and mm -hmm. relaxing into the feeling of, okay, great. Tried well, it, there's like something very empowering, understanding, <clears throat> excuse me, where you want to be. Uh, mm -hmm. I have a little bit of a cough, folks, so I'm going to try to contain it, by the way. Um, something super empowering about understanding like where you want to be and being at peace with yourself with that decision. Because now when the right opportunity presents itself, you will know it instantly and you will seize on it. Whereas if you were still bogged down in your copywriting and other things you didn't like so much, you may miss it. So it will come. It will come. Yeah, Good for you. I feel really fortunate that I, I know the feeling of when something is aligned, you know, like sometimes it takes practice to really know, like, is this a feeling of excitement because it feels good in my body and like good for me or is it excitement mm -hmm. because the money is there or is it excitement because everyone's telling me I'm good at this thing. Right. And fortunately, because I've had experiences like, traveling full time and knowing how easy that felt, even though I had no money yeah. then, it just like, there was yeah. no concern. I never worried about where I was getting money or where I was going next. And I had these most beautiful, wonderful experiences. And even as a, as a kid, I grew up riding horses and like that always felt easy and natural. Like I never thought about it. I mean, I was very privileged that my parents were able to, you know, provide that opportunity, but I've had these two very distinct experiences related to childhood joy and then traveling joy. And mm -hmm. so I think part of the friction that I've been experiencing since I started this business is like, it doesn't feel like these other things that brought me joy. And so I've been trying to like yeah. make it feel that way. And it doesn't. Yeah. So I'm in this yeah. moment of like, you know what, let's let it go. And like you said, let's see what comes next because yeah. there is, I like, I do feel like there's something really exciting coming. I just don't know what it is yet. Yeah. Well, Christmas is on its way. <laughs> right. Yeah. We'll see yeah. what's under your tree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so you're the author of Will, Tra Will Travel for Vegan Food, published in 2015, where you lived out of your van and you traveled all around the country uh, to try different vegan restaurants. How did you decide to, to write such a book and where'd you get the confidence to embark on this journey? Well, here's where that beautiful alignment things com thing comes into play, because mm -hmm. I didn't plan to write a book when I started the road trip. Um, I didn't pitch any publishers. What happened was I was about a year into my band dwelling excursion, and this new small publishing house reached out and said, hey, we've been watching all your travels. Do you think you'd want to write a book about it? And I said no, I wasn't planning to, like, I have a hard enough time writing blog posts every day or however <laughs> frequently I was doing it. And they were like, well, if we pay you, will you write a book? And I said, yes, I would love to write a book. 
And so, and so began that journey of, uh, you know, negotiating the contract and, um, and it was actually going to be a coffee table book at first where they were just going to take pictures of, cause it was a vegan publishing house. So okay. they were going to take pictures of the food and the landscape and whatever experiences and put that into a coffee table book. And then as we were finalizing the contract, they said, you know what, we realize this is going to be really expensive for us to produce. How about you write a memoir instead? And so I'm this like 30-year-old, wow. you know, who writes a memoir at 30? But anyway, I literally Googled how to write a memoir, and that's how I decided to, like, do it. I'm like, sure, I can make it happen. So very, very, very fortunate that I was approached to write a book and that they gave me, you know, kind of an open-ended timeline, a loose timeline, because I still had a, about another year of traveling before I settled into writing the book. Um but to answer the question on the courage piece, I, I don't think I ever had a conversation with myself on, can I do it? Like, do I have what it takes? It was more like, yay, this opportunity came up. Let's go. Like, it just mm -hmm. felt good. Like I was saying mm -hmm. before, like, it felt good. I had no questions other than how much is this bringing in? <laughs> how much am I going to pay? Um, and so that's, that's really it. And actually, it's kind of beautiful that I'm coming to you from New York City right now because I wrote the very first few pages of the book in New York City. Um, oh, full circle I, moment yeah, on my podcast. Moment, yeah. <laughs> I was sitting, I was actually just looking up this coffee shop that I sat at to start writing and it, it just closed a few months ago. It was very sad. I wanted to go back just to reminisce and it's permanently closed now, but yeah. I mean, this is even more impressive given that you were approached, uh, <laughs> I would assume 2014, right? If you published in 15, back before social was what it was today. So mm -hmm. where you were blogging and, uh, communicating, I guess, uh, was compelling enough that it was drawing enough attention that this publishing house saw it even yeah, and, and got in touch with you. So that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Today, I'm not saying it wouldn't happen today. It would happen today, but there's just a lot more uh, noise in the channel. Oh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, Instagram wasn't even around when I started my road trip. I was primarily using Facebook to share my journey and mm -hmm. I had a blog. Um, and a newsletter. And I was posting a little bit to YouTube, but not a ton before the book offer came in. So yeah, it was very, it felt very serendipitous. I mean, to be fair, actually, the the person who started the company and his wife, they're from Boston. And I apparently had met them at some vegan meetup event or something years mm -hmm. prior. So they had heard about the trip before I even started because I did a crowdfunding campaign to get going. And so mm -hmm. I think they had been kind of following along and we had met at some point before they even started their publishing company. So I yeah. see, I see, I see. Um, so how did you come to decide to, to live in a nomadic way? That, uh, that was really out of this need to explore, uh, what was it called that I was, so I started when I, I got a job after we finished grad school at Emerson. I mm -hmm. got a job right away, which was great because the recession was crap at the time. Got a job at a nonprofit animal welfare organization. I was working there and also started reading a lot of books and blogs at the same time about um, lifestyle design, like creating mm -hmm. a life around the things that you love. So mm -hmm. we're talking like Tim Ferriss's The 4-Hour Workweek, Gary Vaynerchuk's world. I was like all in Gary Vaynerchuk's world. Um, Chris Gillibo, Marie Forleo, kind of all these entrepreneurial types that were really pushing this idea of like, you can design a life around things that you love. And at some point, I kind of asked myself, like, what do I love to do? Well, I was newly ish vegan, maybe five years into my veganism when I was exploring this stuff and thought, 
um, well, I love food. I've fallen in love with food after becoming vegan. And also I've always said I wanted to travel, but I've actually never left the country. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought, what is the version of these two things that go together? Traveling for vegan food, that could be really cool. Um, and so about a year into my job, I was um, on a lunch break reading a chapter from the four hour work week. I went back to my desk, literal cubicle situation. <laughs> desk. Right. I sat down and the words will travel for vegan food, which is the name of my project, just kind of like dropped into my head. And in mm -hmm. that moment, I still have the email. I emailed my parents from my work desk, my work computer <laughs> that same moment. I said, oh my God, you guys, I have the best idea. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to move into a van and I'm going to eat at every vegan restaurant in the country. And, you know, it took a few days for someone, my dad, I think, replied eventually. He's like, cool idea. Like there was no real like belief that this was going to happen. And then within six months, I gave my notice and started the crowdfunding. It just like kind of snowballed. It was like a matter of fact thing once the idea dropped in. Yeah, yeah. Like, this is what I'm doing. Like there was no question. There was no concern. Even when I went shopping for the van that I lived in, because I didn't have a fancy like bathroom shower van. Like they have the really fancy, you know, travel vans today. I bought this like found on Craigslist 1998 Chevy whatever my dad and I pulled the seats out, built a bed. Like there was nothing fancy about it. So it just kind of snowballed into the, what felt like a very natural momentum around it. Mm -hmm. uh, but really started with this, this need to explore kind of living a life on my terms. Very Cheryl Street. <laughs> yes, actually with my book, I get comments. I've gotten reviews and comments that are like it, Cheryl Strayed meets um, Elizabeth Gilbert kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe one day you'll get that money. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah, see. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. I love that. I love that. Um, I've certainly, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to, to being in a, a work situation that you're not so fond of and, you know, like really distilling down like what you love to do and how you would want to do it. And, but the fact that, that you had that moment and that you actually did it, that is so fulfilling. And that is so cool. I mean, so many people say, oh yeah, I want to do this. I'm going to go do this. And they just never do it. Mm -hmm. And it is just remarkable that, that you did that. And, um, nobody can ever take that away from you. My goodness. Yeah. And I, I mean, I will acknowledge that in, you know, in that moment, cause I guess I would have been in my late twenties when it all started formulating. I mean, I, I had, I have an incredibly, uh, like supportive family unit. My, I'm very close with my parents. You know, I, I felt, I feel like I had these kind of built in safety nets that mm -hmm. some people don't have. Um, mm -hmm. and so there was that ability to take that risk because I knew that if like the, everything started burning around me, I could just go home or like, you know, yeah. my parents would, would save me or something, you know, I mean, they didn't, uh, uh, despite some popular belief at the time when I got started, my, I wasn't living off my parents' money. Like it was all my savings and then my crowdfunding stuff, right? My parents are not like wildly wealthy or anything like that, but they're emotionally supportive. And I knew that, that they would be there if something happened. So I do want to acknowledge that I, you know, it was also in a unique position and be, just being like a white woman in the States, right? Like I have the, this privilege to go do this thing and know that I'd be relatively safe and that I also had a place to come back to if it didn't, if it went sideways. Um, I think without that kind of built in support, I don't know that I, that I would have leapt into mm -hmm. it. Um, and even the people that I was inspired by, like, you know, they're all like 
privileged people that were writing these books about how to do awesome things. So in retrospect, at the time, I wasn't acknowledged. I didn't have any awareness around this. But now that I've yeah. had a lot of time to educate myself and understand that it wasn't just me being a courageous person, like I had these other things that were built in that really allowed me to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of safety, uh, did you ever, were you ever concerned for your safety? No, I know my parents were. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm not sure they really. were much more than you. Yeah. I think not consciously, but subconsciously I was because I didn't sleep well at all. The whole almost two years or 18 months that I was traveling, I didn't sleep deeply in the van at all. I definitely, when I returned home at the end of that excursion like I was comatose for like weeks I was like so tired um I also <laughs> was eating a lot of crap so like I think my body was just like okay we need a break from eating you know because I would tell myself oh I'm never gonna be here again I should get dessert so I'm like eating sweets every day and you know dining out every day it takes a toll on your body um but no no I I feel like again there was this kind of intuitive sense that that everything would be fine and even mm -hmm. the operation of the van like it got me all the way back home before it actually died like a couple months later, like completely died. So wow. I feel like there, like Good I was, angels. yeah, I, like, I do feel like there was some guidance, if you will, or something that really kept me safe. Um, there was only one time that I was really nervous in the van. Was it? Yeah, it was just that, <laughs> that one time. But it, it was a security guard. I had parked in a parking lot one morning and laid down for a few minutes before going into the Starbucks where I was going to do some blogging, write, write some blog stuff. And apparently the security guard saw me pull in and knock it out. And so he came over and knocked on the door. And so he, you know, woke me up out of a nap state and it freaked me uh -huh. out. But he was just telling me to leave, that I can't sleep in the parking lot. So fortunately, that was the scariest thing that happened. But I did sleep with a hammer next to me and mace on the other side of yeah, me. Yeah, that was so, going to be my next question. What? Yeah. yeah. So I did have these like tools next to me and I would have a recurring nightmare actually that someone was broken and was standing over me on the bed. So like subconsciously, mm. I think I was like worried, you know, but the active part of my brain was like, come on, let's, like, let's go. Let's go. Like, you're fine. You've got your hammer. You've got your mace. Like, let's keep going. So, yeah. And you did international travel too for this project, right? Well, the road trip and the, the the portion of the trip that the book is based on was just the van dwelling days. And then about, uh, well, okay, so this was the order of things. The van dwelling was from the fall of October 2011 to the summer of 2013. Then I spent the next two years writing the book and going on book tour. The book came out in mm -hmm. 2015. And then I applied for a contest to win an around the world trip and I came in second place. So that's what wow. started my around the world trip. I did an eight month long, uh, partially sponsored around the world trip. And that's what led to being able to visit 21 countries. Um, and I did that like within eight months. So that's just like, a, that was a lot of travel and yeah. flying around for a short period of time. Um, but yes, that was because I, I won a contest that was sponsored by a vegan travel company. <laughs> Well, that is amazing. What were some of the top places you went to internationally that you loved? I really loved uh, Hoi An, Vietnam, and Barcelona was wonderful, as well as um, uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand. I mean, to, to be fair, I, I, both nationally and internationally, I feel like every place I landed 
I found something to really enjoy or love, whether it was the people, the food, the landscape, the activities to do. Like there was always something to just marvel at or be grateful for. And so that's always one of the toughest questions to answer because it depends on what we're talking about. And I may answer it differently, but in terms of like overall, like, wow, this whole experience was incredible. Vietnam was really like overwhelmingly delightful in a lot of different ways, as well as um, uh, Barcelona. Yeah. Um, I've spent time in Barcelona, but never Vietnam. I will get there one day. Mark my words. <laughs> it is worth visiting. Yes. Um, so it, am I right to assume that doing that road trip was the biggest risk that you've taken? I would say so. Yeah, because it meant quitting a job, um, not knowing exactly where money was coming from mm-hmm. or when. Um, and and traveling alone. I mean, I'd gone from from being in back-to-back romantic relationships from the time I was 16 until I left for the road trip and also mm. being like close with my parents as well. So I always had people around me supporting me. I never really done anything alone. <laughs> so yeah. it it absolutely fast forwarded my um my relationship with myself. Like I had a mm. lot of difficult conversations with myself about my dependency on other people. I had a lot of joyful moments with myself about being grateful that I could experience so much um, joy by myself. Like there was a lot of ebb and flow in that the feelings Mm -hmm. I had of of being alone for such a long period of time. And I attribute that risk with the relationship that I have with myself now. Like I've never felt more secure with myself or loved myself this much. As a fellow solo traveler, um, right on. And mm-hmm. I absolutely love traveling by myself. Uh, a lot of people don't mm-hmm. understand it, but mm-hmm. I grew up an only child. Do you have a sibling? I do. Um, okay. But we're five years apart and we've never been close. So I, I actually okay. grew up saying, like, I feel like an only child. So similar, yeah. but not not exactly, but similar. Yeah. 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 I got used to doing things by myself uh, very early on and I've never had problems doing anything by myself. And it does give you uh, a level of confidence and self-awareness to go and just explore and do, you know, things in other places. Uh, I I find it highly rewarding. I like traveling with some people too sometimes, but um, I think there's a lot of value to, to just getting out there on your own. And it teaches you so much about yourself just limitless things. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what advice would you give other creative entrepreneurs out there who are trying to find their way? This may be one that you've heard a million times, but you're never going to feel ready to do the thing, whether it's traveling solo, launching the project, hitting publish on the whatever, submitting your manuscript, like whatever it is, it's never going to feel done or right. But you have to just either give yourself a deadline or just push it out, even when it feels scary, because you're never going to feel ready. So you've got to take action before you feel ready to go. Um, The only reason we're having this conversation today is because you saw me doing things that I did when I was scared or not ready to do. (laughs) You didn't know that that's how I was feeling when those things were happening. And, And people are often surprised to hear that I was scared and that I didn't feel courageous all the time. But that's, 
I mean, we all feel that way. Nobody ever feels ready to do a thing. You ask the most famous people in the world, right? Like they never feel ready. So my advice is you've got to start before you're ready. Yeah, there is never, ever a right time. Just like there's never a right time to break up with anybody. Just, you know. <laughs> That's true. Well, here's the other whatever. thing. Whatever. She was like, when, we, when we're feeling stuck, and this is something I've been exploring a lot this year with all my transition stuff with work, taking action on anything, even if you don't know if it's the right thing, mm-hmm. it's going to create momentum. It's going to like introduce you to people you weren't expecting to meet. It's going to put you in places you weren't planning to go. So even if it feels like a sidestep or a lateral move or like a woo, I'm not sure feels good. Any action, whether it's big or small, is going to create momentum that you need to find the thing that you love or to do the thing that's exciting. And so whether or not you feel ready and you publish the thing, whatever, do the stuff, that is just one token, one little piece of the like creating forward movement. Even if it doesn't feel like it's forward, it's essential. Just do anything, something when you're feeling like you yes. can't do anything. Yes. I equate it to like going to the gym especially in those days when you absolutely don't feel like going when I'm in there just trying to motivate to do something. And I just tell myself, you know what, just do a little bit. It doesn't have to be this massive 90 minute workout or whatever. It could be 20 minutes. Like it doesn't matter. You know, like a little bit of something is better than a lot of nothing. And that little bit of something you spend in the gym, is going to have a huge impact if, you know, versus if you spent three days on the couch, not doing anything because you didn't feel like going to the gym yeah, or doing yoga in your house or whatever it is. You just have to do something. Oh, all right. My last question for you is, uh, what have been the, the two biggest risks in your life and how do you think they paid off? Two biggest risks in my life. Well, I think the first one, which we covered, you know, is quitting my job and doing the the travel excursion Mm -hmm. Um, because it was very uncharted territory for me, whether you consider the traveling alone, being alone for over a decade thing or. And you um, probably didn't have any role models to model that experience of after back then. No, no, no. I not doing specifically what you were doing. Right. Yeah. There, there was, there weren't really influencers at the time. So there wasn't kind of that influence. Um, and also my parents have until very recently never left the country. Like they, we didn't take trips when I was a kid or travel a lot or do anything at all really. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so yeah, I was just moving from my own core versus, you know, being inspired by uh, outside of the people I was telling you about that I read you know, they, the yeah. people I was reading about or their books weren't, they weren't doing the thing I wanted to do, but they certainly were, you know, motivating in terms of like, you can do whatever you want to do kind of thing. Right. Um, so yeah, that was probably one big risk. And then another big risk, I suppose, is uh, maybe, I feel like I take micro risks all the time. Like it's mm-hmm. hard to to name one big one outside of the obvious, like I quit my job and I traveled for over two years. Well, actually, over a decade, if you consider like the fact that I still haven't had a home base, <laughs> I've been spending a lot of time house sitting, pet sitting, oh, all this stuff. Um, but I don't know that I can identify another big risk other than thinking I take a lot of micro risks all the time, right? Like yeah. someone may be watching this and thinking, oh, well, if you're switching up your business or something, that's a risk. 
yeah, but in the grand scheme, it, it, it feels manageable. It doesn't feel like a giant to do. It just feels like I'm pivoting, I'm tweaking, I'm moving toward what feels good, moving away from what doesn't feel good. Um, and I feel like I'm doing that all the time. And yeah. so maybe the answer to that question for another risk thing is, is just um, listening to my intuition and, and allowing myself to move toward the things that feel better and risking the fact that I'm letting go of some security yeah. or whatever it is that the things that are giving me, um, that are keeping me stuck or, or allowing me to stay there, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So mm -hmm. that's kind of a convoluted answer to your question, but yeah. <laughs> oh, it wasn't convoluted at all. I totally get it. I understand. <laughs> Well, thank you, Kristen, so much. This has been such a great conversation, and I really appreciate your your honesty and your vulnerability and and talking about things that uh, are probably like still really raw and and fresh for you to discuss around your business. Um, it is great to learn more about your your vegan travel days uh, and that whole experience and stuff. So oh, thank, thank you, you so for much for having me. It's been lovely to see you. Yes, in this virtual world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will see you soon in the real world. Yes, we'll make it happen. <laughs> yes. All right. Tune in for another episode of My Time, My Life. Take care. Bye.